Hello there, and welcome to the season three premiere of. Did I say that right? No. Oh my god! Fucking it. take two. This is a season <laughs> three premiere. Bump it up a notch. Bump it Shut up. up. Like you, you know what? Like you've just fucking strolled into Disneyland, right? This is a season three premiere. Bump that shit up. Come on. Oh, okay. A- act okay. like you fucking want to be here. Yeah. Act like you want to be. Here. Come on. Act like you want to be here. Come on. Let's do it. Do it. Ready? <laughs> so. <laughs> Come on, let's do it. I I just want to say I, I I practiced my I practiced this opening like four times today and I still fucked it up. Yep. All right. <laughs> okay. So take two. Um, <clears throat> hello there. Welcome to the season three premiere of the mixtape podcast. The podcast dedicated to. Deconstructing film from a screenplay writer's perspective. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inestroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host and my chadich, Dean Stark. And on this inaugural episode of season three, we will be talking about a time travel. A time travel? What the hell is that? We'll be talking about one of the... (laughs) Shut up, Dean. Shut up. Uh-huh. <laughs> we we will be talking about one of the finest movies to ever be made about time travel. We'll be talking about the 1985 film Back to the Future, directed by uh, Robert Zemeckis. So, as we do every week, I will kick it to Dean to take us through a play-by-play of this Fantastic film. Hello and welcome to, like Marcelo said, season three, the premiere. And we really wanted to do Back to the Future because it's an iconic movie. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. I- I've never met anyone that hates Back to the Future that goes, ah, oh, no, that movie's shit. And yeah. I think people will really, really uh, I- I- enjoy it. And we hope you enjoyed season two. Back to the Future, 1985, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale directed by Robert Zemeckis. So the premise is Marty McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-travelling DeLorean. So the opening scene is basically just a room full of clocks and as the camera pans, we kind of see all these makeshift makeshift contraptions um, turning on the TV the coffee maker turns on there's like a robot that like switches it on but there's there's no there's nothing under it so the hot water just kind of pours out onto the floor there's a machine that gets dog food and when it gets dog food it opens it like this little robot opens it and pours it out into a bowl that's got the name Einstein on it but it's clear and I like this that he showed it it's clear that nobody's been there for a while because the dog food bowl is just like overflowing with food so the dog hasn't been there nobody's been there so uh there's there's a somebody comes in we see their feet it's marty mcfly and he's looking for someone called doc we don't know who doc is yet but he's looking for them and he i i don't i don't know i don't know he he turns on he puts a like a little mini guitar around his his neck uh and he he turns on all these 
knobs and he turns on a speaker. Now, this speaker is bigger than him. It's the biggest speaker I've I've ever seen in my life. It's like fucking jumbo overkill. And when he strums the first note, he just gets blown across the room and he's just like, oh, okay. So Doc calls and he says, Marty, you got to meet me at 1.15 a.m. at Twin Pines Mall. And Marty is just used to Doc being like weird and he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And he says, oh, and by the way, don't use the big speaker, <laughs> which he already did. He's like, oh, fuck. So I, I thought this part was funny. All the clocks start going off and they all, there's like, there's like a hundred clocks, right? They all say 8 a.m. And he's on the call to, to Doc and he goes, and, and, and Doc's like, great. Is that the clocks? All the clocks are 25 minutes late. And you never really know why he does this, but Marty's like, what do you mean? You mean it's 8.25 and not 8 o'clock? <laughs> He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but with that scene, you can see Doc is an inventor. You can see he's odd. And then when Marty goes, shit, I'm late for school, then, you know, one of the most iconic songs ever starts playing The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News as he makes his way to school. That is the opening scene. Uh, what did you think? I really love the opening scene because, like you said, uh, we – we already establish from the get that Doc hasn't been um, at his house for a while. <clears throat> most of the <clears throat> most of his appliances in his house are run by robots. Um, like like the toaster is run by robot. The coffee pot is run by robot. The little robot hand that you mentioned that uh, that that feeds food into Einstein's um, <clears throat> thing is run by a robot. And the house is in, is is a complete mess. So I really like the the set design and 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 how Robert Zemeckis showed what a awful state his house is in. And the other thing that I really like about the movie is that while Robert Zemeckis is taking us through uh, uh, Doc's house, and while Marty shows up in the background, you hear this news report about this 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 case of plutonium that was stolen from a nuclear test site a couple of days ago and i really like that because that is giving us exposition but that is giving exposition to us in the background so it's like back to the future took a a, a page out of the book from soylent green that is the yeah. perfect way to do uh to do um exposition and uh like dean also said i love the scene when marty hooks up to the amplifier and it blows up in his face Mm. i i love the conversation with um that that marty has with doc when he figures out that all the clocks in doc's apartment are 25 minutes slow so vis-a-vis marty's late for school i love all of that i really really do i think that this movie gets off to such a good start and uh it's only it's it, it's only going to get better from here folks yes so uh that marty gets to school and then we meet his girlfriend jennifer i have a i have a question for you i don't look i'm going to be honest i've only actually seen back to the future one other time before this <gasps> what yeah what? because because i'm gonna i'm gonna explain just keep your pants you on okay i'm gonna explain yeah <laughs> Because it's not my favorite in the trilogy. Back to the Future 2 is my favorite. So I've seen Back to the Future 2 a million times. 
Okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't really connect with the first one or the third one, but the second, yeah, I don't know why, like, it's not that they're bad. They're they're awesome. I love them. But the second one, I just, that's, that's my, Back to the Future 2 is my jam. It's my jam. Okay. That's your jam. Right. So my question for you, I don't know if you know this. So we meet his girlfriend, Jennifer. Now, in this, in Back to the Future Two, it's a different Jennifer. Do you know? Yes. Did they? Why did they recast? Is there? Do you know anything about that? I don't know. I didn't because she it. was too tall. Who the the? Oh, the first, yeah, the yeah. original one. Yeah, yeah. the The original Jennifer was too tall, so they wanted to get a girl. They they wanted to get a girl that could that could that could um, that could pretty pretty much be at the same height as uh, as Michael J. Fox. Which is a, which oh. is a, which is a kind of a bullshit reason because not to not to get on a diatribe about Back to the Future Two, but what what they do with Jennifer and Back to the Future Two is so fucking stupid. Yeah, they kind of they kind of bring her, and then what they do with her is fucking. It's so dumb, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it at at the point when we talk about Back to the Future Two, but it's so dumb. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh well, that's I mean that's a stupid reason. I mean, yeah, why didn't they yeah. just why didn't they just cast someone in the first place that was no, his height? No, and like no, and like no disrespect to the actress who plays Jennifer in Back to the Future Two and in Back to the Future Three, but I prefer the first Jennifer, the Jennifer in this film. I think the problem I have with the Jennifer in this film is there's no there's not much she's only in a few scenes. There's not there's not much of a character for her right, at right. all. So you don't really get to know her. As an, and right you don't really get to see her acting skills. So uh, we get to school. He's with uh, Jennifer. We meet Jennifer. And he's walking down the hall. And then the principal, this is so weird, gets in his face, but actually gets in his fucking face. Like literally nose to nose. Um, he just fucking hates him. I mean, he fucking hates him. And he it's it's almost to the point where it's kind of like he's really ag- quite aggressive towards Marty. And it's like he's at the point where it's like he'll punch him out if he has to. It's just it's it's a it's a shock that that's allowed to happen. And that it, I don't it's know. I felt like it kids. was a lot. Yeah, but it was a but I don't think high school principals like why would they I don't I, even in the 80s. Like, why would they why would they do that? So it gets in his face and he's and he's telling him. You know, I know Mick flies. I knew your dad. You're going to fail. You're all going to fail. Like, what kind of a principal does that? Like, it's just really bizarre. I know they wanted to set him up to be a dick, but oh my God, that was like a lot. And Marty's just standing there with Jennifer. Is basically like, yeah, are you done? Like, can I go now? Like, he basically, he's used to it. He's used to his principal coming up to him, berating him and telling him he's a piece of shit, basically. Telling him he's a big fat nothing. And then uh, he goes to audition uh, for a band. And he's lead guitarist, and they start playing uh, "The Power of Love" by Huey Lewis. And I did. I never look. I've only seen this movie once. So when I saw that Huey Lewis was actually one of the judges, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I know him!" And I was like, "Oh, that's cool." So he is, folks. If you don't know that, go back and watch the scene. But they start playing, and then Huey Lewis stands up and goes, "No, it's too much. It's too much. It's too much." Yeah. And I thought that was quite funny. And then Marty. Is is quite down and he's quite depressed and because this is what he wants to do. He's kind of just wants to be in a band and, and and play guitar. And he tells Jennifer, you know, he's he doesn't feel like he's ever going to get the chance to play, and it's all he wants to do. Uh, before I move on to the next scene, what did you think about the school scene and the whole audition scene? No, I you know I really love the school scene because this film does something 
so, so wonderful. I've said it multiple times on this podcast. This, you, uh, if, if you write a script correctly, you drop hats on the ground to pick up later on. And I feel that this film drops up, drops so many setup hats in the first uh, part of this movie that it's so ingenious. So the encounter with Strickland in the hallway already establishes that Marty's family is a bunch of dropkicks and Marty's family isn't well thought of and the principal thinks that Marty isn't going to amount to nothingness, right? The scene of him uh, 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 trying out for... Uh, trying out for the school dance establishes that he wants to be a musician, that he's interested in becoming a musician. And the, and the scenes coming up also establishes things that are going to get paid off later on. And I love the way that Bob Gale and uh, um, uh, Robert Zemeckis did that. It was just so, so beautiful watching them drop these, these, Tons of these hats on the ground, and the way that they pick them up later on is just fucking fantastic. Yeah, it is. So now we're in the now we're in the town square where the famous clock tower is, and now just a little tidbit: that clock tower is still there. It's on the back lot of the Universal Studios. So if you want to go yep. see the clock tower, it's there. Um, so he's 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 in the he's in the um, town square with Jennifer, and a lady comes up. And she has a pamphlet. She says, I'm raising money for the clock tower because 30 years ago, lightning struck it and it hasn't worked since. So she gives him a hat flyer. Hat on the ground. Hat. hat on, huge, huge hat on the ground. Huge hat. <laughs> huge hat on the ground. I love how this movie handles its story and its setup. Off you go. Yes, I do too. So uh, Marty's at home. He arrives home and he walks into his house. And here we meet... Biff, and we meet his dad, George McFly. And Biff is a bully. You can see it's just just by what he's wearing, you can tell he's a bully. He's towering over his father, George McFly, and he's treating him like uh, like a piece of crap, basically. And he's 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 not treating him with any respect. And so what happened was, I think. Biff, like, crashed into his car. Now Biff is, like, blaming him and saying he has to pay for it and all this shit. <laughs> is that what happened? No. Uh, no, he's, uh, well, well, Biff is having the discussion with, with Marty's dad because Biff claims that the reason that he crashed the car is because the car has a blind spot. Right, 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 right. But, but, the, thing, but the thing that makes Biff look like a fucking asshole is not only because of the clothes that he's wearing, yeah. it's not only because he's towering over his, his father... But if you notice throughout the scene, Biff moves around his house. He Biff moves around Marty's house like he owns the place. He goes into his fridge without permission. He takes candy without permission. He, I yeah. mean, he just he just oozes fucking asshole. Yeah, and uh, Marty's dad is is letting Biff walk all over him. He's very meek. He's very like, yes, you know, yes, that's fine. He's like, I need those papers on my desk tomorrow, but not too early because I like to sleep in. You better do it. You better get it done right now. He's like, yes, Biff, yes, yes, yes. Yes, I'll, I'll. he's just walking all over him. And so right there you can see his dad is just, had, does not know how to put up boundaries, does not know how to say no and anything that, he's just scared. He's just a scared 
man. So just within that, like, couple minutes scene, you can see that. Now, Marty's looking at his dad like he just doesn't respect his dad at all. He's just like, oh, my God, why do you – I don't think he says it, but he's just like, why do you let Biff treat you like this? Like, in his head, like, you can see that that mulling over. So what did you – I mean, do you have anything else to say about that scene before I move on? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think – no, I don't think that Marty is ups- – well, well, Marty is kind of upset because his dad – his – he um. Uh, his dad lets Biff walk all over him. But I think Marty is really upset because Biff just wrecked the car that he was going to use. Biff just wrecked the car that he was going to use to take Jennifer up to the lake. So Marty needed that car. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So So, so I think so. So just just real quick. So I think it's right. I think it's twofold. I think Marty's upset because of the way that his dad's being treated. But I think he's more upset because of the car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're probably right about that. So, uh, and we can see they're not really well off. Like they live in a house, but they're not. Like there's just shit everywhere. And his dad looks like a like a clerk, like like yeah, someone that works exactly. in an office. Yeah, he's got he's got his you know his, a white shirt on with a little like name badge, and he's got glasses on. He just looks like a. It looks like a nerd. He looks like a nerdy mm-hmm. office office dude. And yeah. I'm bringing that up because at the the end there's a there's a, obviously an arc and there's it's different. There's a, oh yeah, there's a, yeah. Uh, for for pretty much everybody in this film, there's a there's a re, there's a really really sizable arc. But again, mm. the storytelling. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to stop harping on this. The storytelling in this first part of the movie is so ingenious because it's like Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis went here. We're going to put pillars here, 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 and here. Mm. And then when we then when we get to the cool stuff, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna build a house on top mm. of all these pillars that we just put up. Yeah. So this folks yeah. is screenplay writing one oh one. Oh, I love this script so much. Yes. So the next scene where we're at we're at the dinner table and we meet his mum, which is played by Leah Thompson at Thompson and and uh, I just find it funny, like, how old is Marty? Is he supposed to be like seventeen? Yep. I so they so. they have they've made Leah Thompson look like she's like fifty years old. <laughs> just find yeah. that really. I, I find that quite quite funny. It's like what do and they do this all the time in the eighties. They make the parents look obscenely older than they would probably look in real life. But but anyway, the makeup's good. It just makes her look really old. And she's telling the story of how. Sorry, did you want to say something? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you can say. What did you want to say? No. Uh, no, but the also also the other thing about about this scene is when we first get introduced to Lorraine, Marty's mother. She mm. not only looks old, which Leah Thompson is not when she mm. when she did this movie. No. Um, but they also make they also make her out to be a drunk. So yes. she she um, um, she not only has to play old, but she also has to play a drunk. So we meet Leah Thompson and and his brother and his sister which are kind of like drop kicks she's complaining that she never gets a date you know what i mean they're dressed like like just just sloppy you know jumpers and and do you know what i mean like sweatsuits and shit like that oh. like nothing i'm bringing this up because it turns at the end oh, um so everything turns everything turns at the end so anyway she's telling uh leah thompson the mom is telling the story about how she got with the dad at the enchantment under the sea dance and that's where they had their first kiss and the reason they went to the enchantment under the sea dance is because her dad hit him the dad the her dad hit george with the car so that's kind of how they met 
So so she's telling the story how they went to the enchantment under the sea dance and they had their first kiss. And the, But the dad, George, is more interested in what's on the TV. He's not listening. He's going, oh, isn't that funny what's on the TV? And the mom is just devastated. Like he doesn't – he's just acting like he doesn't care. He doesn't want to listen to when they first met, nothing. They're not loved up. They're just together just to kind of be together. Uh, moving on. Where are we? Oh, here we go. Uh, Marty, uh, he's fallen asleep. And then he gets a call from Doc saying, basically, where the fuck are you? He's like, oh, shit. So Marty arrives at Twin Pines Mall at 1.15 a.m. And he sees a a white truck and he kind of goes up to it. And the back comes down very ominously, very sci-fi-like. There's, like, smoke and everything. And out backs and, – and, and when the ramp goes down, a DeLorean – a nice, crisp, clean DeLorean <laughs> backs out, rolls out of the truck – and Doc steps out of the car and he is, he's he's got crazy like white hair. It's like all over the place. He wear, he's wearing like a white jumpsuit that has like the poison symbol on the back. It's kind of like a hazmat suit without like the hat, the, the hat, the, the, what is it? Like the thing that goes over your head. And oh, the, um, uh, the, um, the, the what's headgear. It yeah. He, without the headgear and, you know, and then he, he he has a remote. He has like a massive remote control, and he starts remote controlling the DeLorean, which I always thought was really cool when I was a kid. I was like, "Oh, that's cool!" Um, and I, I I when I was a kid, I actually believed that that was possible. <laughs> I was like, I I was like, "Where's the remote controls for the big cars?" And they're like, "Damn, that's 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 not real. That's not a thing." So he's controlling the thing with a remote control. He puts his dog Einstein in the car, right? <laughs> and he's controlling it, and then. <clears throat> He makes the car, he accelerates the car, it hits 88 miles per hour. And he's like, he's like, when the car hits 88 miles per hour, some serious shit is going to happen. <laughs> and, then the, and then the car races towards him and Marty and Marty goes to move and Doc's like, no, 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 it's okay. And Marty's like, uh, there's a car racing towards us. And as it gets to them, it hits 88 miles per hour, per hour and vanishes. And he says he sent the car back one minute no, sorry, he sent the car one minute into the future. And then after a minute, the car then slides back into view. And he goes up to it, opens it up. See, Einstein's fine. For Einstein, it was only a minute. Like it was, a, sorry, he, he only felt like it was a second. And so he gets Einstein out of the car and he shows Marty how it works. And he says, you program like where you want to go. So what time frame you want to go or if if you want to go into the future or if you want to go back in time or like wh- whatever time period you want to you want to go in. If you had a time machine, where would you go in the past? Where uh, would you go? Where would you what would you like to see? Who would you like to I, meet? Tell me. Oh. Um, yeah. I would I would probably I would probably do two things. Uh from a selfish point of view, I would save my dad from dying. Oh my god! Um, sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I didn't. I, I didn't mean to get that deep. Um, I, I, I would. I, I would probably. I would probably save my dad from dying. So I would probably uh, jump to the day before he got shot while he was working in the garage, and and just prevent him. Not, just stop, stop him from going there. Would you like to know what I would do if I had a time machine? Yes. What would you do? <laughs> well. The first thing, because I like history. Okay. Um, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that. No, there's one more thing. Go for um, it. I 
I I would want to go see um, the Titanic being built. <gasps> Beautiful. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, what uh, What were you going to say? There's a lot of things that I um, would do, but the things that can the things that come to mind because obviously, like you can go back and change things, but that's not good. I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change anything because it is the way that it is for a reason. So changing okay. anything is not up to me, but I would like to experience certain things. So the first thing I would do is I'd go back to ancient Rome and see a gladiatorial fight at the Colosseum. That's the first thing oh, I would do. Oh, that's awesome. Right? That's the fucking first thing I would do because I think that that is so fucking epic. Like, I, yeah, that's epic. Like, I've been to the Colosseum and it just, you can feel the energy. Like, it's like it's oh, crazy. Really? It's massive. Yeah. The Colosseum is massive. That's um, so cool. Yeah. So I would do that. The second thing I would do is I'd go to ancient Egypt and see how the how they built the pyramids. I'm very fascinated on how they did that. Little green men, I'm telling you. I'm look, I look, I believe that too, but I want to see it. And continue. Just one yeah. more thing. Yeah, yeah. I I want to see the birth of Christ. Cause Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. I am I am an atheist. So if I would actually see the birth of Christ, I would I, I would I would come back to Dean and say you know what? I need I need to rethink my stand on things. <laughs> okay, let's go on a tangent for one second because I've heard people say that before. If I could go back in time, I would see the birth of Christ. Now, what does the birth of Christ have any, anything to do with the belief system? He hasn't done anything yet. Just because there was no, someone born named no, Jesus but, doesn't mean anything. No, but what I would is, do. Okay, go for it. Go for it. I'm, I'm I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. But the thing is, the reason why I want to see the birth of Christ is because I want to see, I want to see the God, I want to see what actually happens to, to oppose what they actually write in the Bible. Yeah, but seeing the, but seeing the birth of him won't do anything. You've, you're just seeing uh, no, a I'm, baby being born. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I'm not. Okay. Well, um, I, I didn't actually mean the birth of Christ. I meant his crucifixion. So you want to see him dying? Yeah, basically. But how does that change anything? Because you're just seeing a random person person being crucified. Again, it's like the birth, right? How does that change a belief system? So, I'm so going to explain something. I'm going to explain something, right? Okay. Because okay. I've thought I've thought about this before. the The birth and the death means nothing. What I would do is I'd go back to the era where he was doing his teachings, and ah. I'd be like, and I would, yeah, and I'd be like, okay, I I would be one of his followers, like Ooh. not like. Do you know what I mean? And okay. I would say, okay, is is the Bible accurate? Was he actually teaching these things? Did he go to these places? Was there someone named Judas? I would be an observer, God, but I would observe his teachings and that would make me go, okay, I'm a, I'm a believer. Because you have to witness them actually doing it rather mm-hmm. than their birth and their death, which really means nothing. Um, I would actually, I would actually want to go back to, um, um, uh, the Crusades to um, mm. to see to see the to see like the forming of uh, the Catholic Church, um, right? Uh, because because I want to see I want to see how they came up they, they came up with their initial teachings and things like that and how they figured out how to you know basically basically I would want to like see the birth of Christianity. Um, so. So the birth of Christianity wasn't with the Crusades. It was way oh, before fuck. that. It was just, I'm sorry. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
I'm so, it was just, it was basically, it was, it was the Catholic Church wanting to take over Jerusalem and thus the Crusades. But it, but the Catholic <sighs> Church had actually been established for um, years, hundreds of years before that. Research, babe. <laughs> Research. Okay, sweetheart. So you want to <laughs> press on? Is there anything else you'd you'd, you'd want to go to? No, I don't. Just go. No. Just go. <laughs> um, so once he shows Marty how it works, I, I don't like this next scene. It's pointless. It's the only scene in the movie that I go, makes no sense. There's a van that drives towards them and Doc yells, oh, my God, they've found me. They've found me. No, it and makes so, sense. No, it doesn't. Let me tell you. Okay, yes, I'm gonna, does. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish the scene, and then you're gonna tell me why it makes sense, and then I'm gonna okay. tell you why it doesn't make sense, right? And so there's a guy. Um, the van comes towards them. There's a guy that there's like a, a, a what is it? Like a fucking sunroof, and he stands up, and he's got an AK-47, and he starts shooting at them, and then Doc's dead. They shoot. He shoot Doc. They they try to shoot Marty. The the fucking gun jams. Marty jumps into mm-hmm. the DeLorean and floors it until it's pro- and and programs it to 1955 until no, he, he hits no, 88 Marty, and disappears. Yeah, yeah. Marty Marty does not program it. Uh, oh, Doc, Doc's already programming. Doc, yeah, Doc, Doc already programmed. Yeah, Doc already programmed it before. And while Marty's escaping, he accidentally turns the time circuits on. Yeah. When Marty is running away from the Libyans, he has no idea that the time circuits are on in the car. Um, he must have because then, no, but he he he, 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 no floor, he floored it, and he was he going. Did. He wasn't. He wasn't even going out onto the road. He was flooring it towards yeah. the building, so he was going to crash if he didn't know no. that the car was going to disappear. No, but he didn't know the car was just going to disappear because if he knew because uh, if he knew the car was going to disappear, then why the fuck did he freak out? When all of a sudden he found himself in the goddamn middle of a cornfield. Uh, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why. Are you ready? All right, fine. Tell me I'm why. why. I'm gonna tell you why. Because if you're in a DeLorean and it time travels, right? Even though you know what it's gonna do, you haven't experienced it yet. So when yeah. the car jolts you into another reality, it's gonna be shocking, whether you know what's <laughs> gonna happen or not, right? You're going to be like, oh, my God, what the fuck? And he didn't know where he was. And he's like, I'm, you know what I mean? You have to kind of get your bearings. That's right, why right, I think right. he freaked out. But okay. tell me um, what the point was of the Libyans. Please explain that. Okay. So the reasons why the Libyans show up at the mall and fucking want to kill Doc is because uh, when Doc created the time machine, the... Uh, 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 the basic internal structure of the car runs on regular gasoline, but in order for in order to get the time circuits to work, he needs plutonium. So he basically stole the plutonium from the Libyans, and, and you know, and you know, and of course, the Libyans found out that he stole the plutonium from them. So that's the reason why they showed up and 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 and, and basically shot him. So, so that's why they didn't, show up. But the, didn't he steal the plutonium from um from a warehouse? No, he stole it from the Libyans because remember because because re- remember remember that moment when Marty McFly says, "So this sucker is nuclear." Yeah. Right? And so he goes, he goes, he goes, no, 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 no. The, you know this sucker is electrical, but 
that you know I, I I need plutonium to give this sucker the uh, 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 the correct amount of power that I need, right? And he goes, and then Marty goes, "Did you rip that off?" And then Doc goes, "Of course." And that's when he mentions that's when he mentions the line from the Libyans. That's where he mentions. Uh, 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 that he stole it from the Libyans because the Libyans, okay. check this out, I'm almost done. The Libyans wanted Doc to build them a bomb, but instead of Doc building them a bomb, he basically gave them a bunch of parts from a pinball machine. Okay, so that makes sense. But what the other part of that that doesn't make sense is it was on the news, and te- yeah. Marty Marty calls the the. The Libyans terrorists. So why would a news story be saying plutonium was stolen from Libyan terrorists that are in America? Why would that be a news story? It, they w- it wouldn't be a news story because wouldn't I the poli- wouldn't why would why wouldn't the no, police no, no, be? No, no, no. I think why is that a thing? No, 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 no. I think I think that was Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis taking a little bit of a creative license because as that's being as a news story is being broadcast in Doc's apartment, if you look under. When when Marty first comes in to Doc's apartment, he puts his skateboard on the ground, and mm-hmm. the skateboard bumps, uh, 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 you know, you know, bumps against um, a case where it it bumps, uh, it, you know, you know, bumps against a, a a case that supposedly has plutonium in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, underneath his bed. Yeah. So I think. That's why Bob and uh, and Robert Zemeckis had the news report running in the background. Okay, so they've just taken a li- okay. So all right, so that's yeah, not kind of, so it doesn't make sense. They just put it in just for the exposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a writer's convenience. Right. Okay. Okay. So I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. So thank you for explaining that. This yeah. is what happens when I've only seen this movie once before. <laughs> Moving on in the story, the car ends up on. A farm. Marty freaks out. He crashes into a barn. The family in the house hear this. They come to investigate what's going on and they open the barn and they see the DeLorean crash and Marty steps out. Now, Marty is wearing a hazmat suit. Uh, He got into it, changed into it before, before Doc got the plutonium out and put it in the car to power it up. He's in a hazmat suit and he gets out of the car and the family freak out because they think he's a fucking alien. Because, I don't know, in the 1950s, did they not have hazmat suits? <laughs> I think that they did. I don't know why they would be thinking it's an alien. Um, very weird. But then Marty gets back. Marty basically does a whole freak out, tries to shoot him and all that shit. Marty gets back, back in the car and drives off. Yes, thoughts. So the whole, thing about the, the whole thing about Marty looking like an alien coming out of the car, I think that's just because the comic book that the kid was reading at the time was about a, a, a basically a monster in a hazmat suit coming to, 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 to suck out people's brains, I think. Right. So, right, right, right. so I, I, I think, I think um, the only reason that the family freaked out was, was because the son was reading that comic. And I also think that um, around the time you know, in the you know in the in the early fifties, uh, 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 people were a little bit more, uh, a lot more gullible than they are today. Um, yes, I'll take that. That's true. That's true. Yes. Okay, so, so that's all I got for that. All right. Uh, Marty drives to where he lives. 
and it's all basically fields. Like they're constructing his street, but it's still fields. There's no road. There's no anything. That's just like the entrance, the entrance thing on either side. And he's like, oh, my God. So he hides the car and gets out of the suit and then he's just in his regular poofy, you know, the the poofy red uh, vest that he's got, you know, the iconic vest, and then he just starts walking. Um, And then he walks into the public square, which he was in before with Jennifer, but now it's all 1950s. Everything, uh, Everything is 50s, the cars, the movies playing, the way people are dressed, um, everything. And he's kind of like, uh, what is going on? He picks up a newspaper and it said, and the date is November 5th, 1955. He starts to freak out a little bit. He walks into a milk bar and tries calling. He's like, can I use your phone? He's like, yeah, yeah. He tries calling doc. There's no answer. <laughs> I thought this was quite funny because this is basically a, a, the exact scene from back to the future too. It's just the second one is futuristic. Yep. So because he sits the, down. The second one is the 80s. Yeah. The cafe 80s. Yes, cafe 80s. That's right. So he sits down and he tries to order 80s drinks. So he orders a tab. And the guy goes, what the fuck is a tab? And then he goes, all right, give me a Pepsi free. And he goes, mate, you're going to have to pay for your stuff. <laughs> By the way, we didn't even get Pepsi free here in the 80s. I don't even know what that is. No, but I was like, oh, no, that sounds well, fun. That's a, no, but Pepsi free is actually... Um, it's it's not a free Pepsi. It's a, it's a brand of Pepsi. No, I know it's a brand, but we didn't get yeah. that particular brand here. No, and so no. But this is Australia. Oh we don't get half the shit you have. Don't remember. This is we're fucking backwards yeah. here. Yeah. So he I goes. Just so give bad. me some. I feel so you should feel bad for us. You should feel fucking bad for us. <laughs> so he goes. Look, just give me something with like no sugar in it. And so he gets a coffee, and then you hear McFly. And he, and, he, and he turns around and he sees Biff, a very, very young bully Biff with his cronies. And then he realizes that Biff is not looking at him. Biff is looking at the guy sitting next to him. And then he realizes the guy sitting next to him is actually his dad, George McFly, <laughs> but like his age. And so he starts, you can see George, uh, George. Um, Michael J. Fox is so good because he starts freaking out, but not externally. You can see him internally freaking out, which is just such such good acting, I think, from him. So Biff walks in and his, his goons are demanding his dad do his homework. So basically, you know, he's known – his dad, George, has known Biff for his entire life and his Biff is, Biff is still a bully. Like when he was in high school – he got his dad to do his homework and now he's getting his dad to do his work for him. Like nothing has changed within like 20, 20 years. Uh, it's just, it's the same old shit that's going on. So um, what do you think about that scene? Yeah. Well, first I just, I, I just need to give a shout out to the production team on back to the future, all three movies that the way that they have sort of 1950 the, the hill village, the, the hill Valley times square, from the from the from the you know you know street signs to the street windows through the sidewalks it's just amazing what they've done and the scene when marty goes into the goes into the goes into um the diner and runs into his dad and runs into a younger biff that scene is basically the same scene from uh, uh, earlier in the film, the only difference is 
that the scene in nine, the scene in eighty five is them as uh, uh, older adults being Biff and his father, and the scene from uh, 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 fifty three is them as young teenagers, young teenagers. So again, like Dean said, it's the same relationship, but it's just is it's just different somehow, and it's just. It's just really great how mm. how um, Marty's dad has been dealing with this this fucking asshole for his entire life, and mm. I also love the point that you said, where once Marty realizes who he's sitting next to, he doesn't verbally freak out, but you can see it on his face. He's losing his shit, and I yeah. absolutely, I absolutely love it when Marty chases his dad outside of. Uh, of the diner and he calls him dad by accident and nobody yeah. notices it. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful scene. So no, no, I no, actually, I, 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 I really love that scene. The way that that scene parallels, uh, the first scene between Marty's dad, between Marty's dad and Biff is just great. Yeah, it is. It is. So he follows his dad and, he he gets he sees his dad as a peeping tom basically he's pretending to bird watch he's not he's watching um you know is he watching Lorraine get changed or is it just a random chick no, that he's watching no 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 Lorraine no no Lorraine lives across the street he's watching a random chick right so he's watching a random chick chick in the car and uh, Marty goes across the street and he gets hit by a car and he wakes up to see his mom, Leah Thompson, but she's his age. So, look, the way that they've aged Leah Thompson is amazing because what she really looks like, she looks like she looks like 16, <laughs> which is yep. how she looked back then, but the, the, the aging makeup was just so good on her that it's not like it's not that you believed she was 50, it's just that you probably didn't know she was that young, and she right. is. And, no, um, I didn't. No, I didn't either. So she's his age. He starts freaking out. She keeps calling him Calvin. He's asking, why do you call me Calvin? And she said, because it's written on your underwear. He starts freaking out. He's like, where, why did you take my pants off? <laughs> because you would fucking freak the fuck out. And she's looking at him like she's just got stars in her eyes for him. She's just like, like oh, my God, like he's amazing. And, and he can feel this energy and he's just like, nope, this is not, this is not good. Um, so he puts his, he puts, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You feel like I feel like you're you're really struggling that you want to say something. So go on. Say it. Say it. Okay. 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 Sorry. Just say it. Okay. God, I'm gonna have to do so much work. Um. Okay. So the 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 key thing about this scene is that basically what Marty has just done is changed the course of history because if you guys remember in the diner scene at the beginning of the movie, drunk Lorraine tells a story about how Lorraine met their father and how was that? He got hit by a car. But here's the thing. In 1953, Marty saved his dad from getting hit by the car. So essentially, Marty has now taken the place of his dad. And that is going to create some complications that are going to be cool. Off you go. 
Correct. I was actually going to bring that up later, but um, sorry, you clearly wanted to bring that up right now (laughs) because it because there is a scene later on where Marty it dawns on Marty because Doc is asking him, "Well, you do change something?" And he's like, "No." And then it dawns on Marty, "Oh my god, the car's supposed to hit my dad." I was going to bring it up then, but you've um, spoiler alert, you've brought it up too early. Oh man! (laughs) Now go in the naughty corner. You've done a bad thing. <laughs> so he damn it. Look, you I know you're gonna you look, I'm gonna tell this scene very quick because I know you're going to tell me everything I've missed in it. So he go Marty no. goes downstairs. No, 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 you will. Marty goes downstairs uh with like his his mum's there and obviously his grandma and his grandpa, which we don't actually meet ever, but they're just they're there. And there's a family and they're they're a family, they're eating um dinner. Um, his uncle's like a little boy. I think his auntie's there, little boy, like it's his whole family, but like, they're like kids and they're watching TV and he's on the TV is obviously the same thing his dad was watching and his mom is giving him sexy eyes, um, and then grabs his leg and Marty freaks out. So go on, go for it. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's just a really great scene that, that, you know, that, that picks up a lot of hats that were that were that were laid on the ground in the uh, in the in the scene when with Marty and his family in in uh, nineteen eighty five. It's a really really great scene. So Marty asked directions to get to Doc's house, uh, and the next scene is Marty is at Doc's house. Doc lives. Is he rich? He lives in a fucking bomb ass house. Oh my god, it's fucking massive. Yeah, and, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how it's never established that. yet. I, yeah, I don't, I don't like. I don't know if that's ever established how. No. Uh, how Doc, you know, well, well, maybe he inherited money. I guess. I don't know. It's. I mean, I don't care. It's just never really established. So he gets to Doc's place. He knocks on the door. He tries to explain. Um, he's from the future. He needs help with the time machine that has that Doc has not invented yet, but he will. And Doc doesn't believe him. And then he mentions something called the flux capacitor and Doc just looks at him and you can tell on his face, he's like, he, he doesn't say it, but again, it's such good acting from Christopher Lloyd. He just looks at him and it's like, it dawns on him. Like he knows, it's like, how the fuck do you know what a flux capacitor is? Because he's just fucking, he's fucking made that up, which you'll see in the next scene because he shows him a picture of it. And then he, uh, Marty takes him to the DeLorean and Doc shows him the picture of a drawing. He goes, I just drew this and I called it the flux capacitor. Basically like, I believe you. And, and Marty shows him like in the car, this is the flux, this is the actual flux capacitor. And so now they're on the same page. Go for it. Yeah. That, you know, again, that's a really great scene. And the thing that makes that scene so, so great is because the way that Marty gets, gets this, gets the younger version of doc to believe him is because uh, back in the parking lot in 1985, the old version of Doc or the older version of Doc tells Marty the whole story about how he came up with the idea for the thing that makes time travel possible, the first capacitor. So if Doc didn't tell him that story, he wouldn't have had a way to convince the younger version of Doc that he was actually a time traveler. So again, that's great plotting and great paying off by Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis there. 
Yes, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. So we go back to Doc's house. Marty's showing him what he filmed because when he left in 1985, he was, he was filming him with an old school JVC camera. It's, it was in the car. And so what he's done is just hooked it up to an old 1950s te- TV. I don't know how you would do that, but let's just fucking write as convenience. Well, yeah, but wait, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's linger on that for just a second. That shouldn't be possible because there's no way that he could do that. How the hell do you No, do that's that? what I'm saying. It's just right. It's convenience. You couldn't do yeah, it. Right. The, 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 yeah. the, the, the cable, like the the no. plugs in the back of the TV, like would what not – they wouldn't even have plugs. It would literally just be like the power. <laughs> yeah. No, but no, but also uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm going to get off this in a second. 1950s TV, 1950s TVs didn't have any external points in the back. They just had that big giant thing, the – yeah, that's what I just said. It just oh. had the power. <laughs> oh, fine, fine, fine. Go, 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 go. Okay, okay. So, oh. Oh, where the fuck am I? Um, all right, here we go. Marty shows him what he... I'm distracting you. <laughs> You're distracting me. Jesus. Okay, I'm Marty sure. shows him what he filmed just before Doc kind of got shot, and that convinces Doc because he goes, oh, my God, look how old I look. Oh, my God. So that convinces him. He's from the future, blah, blah, blah. Doc says he doesn't know, and I thought this was quite funny, he doesn't know where to generate 1.21 gigs of electric, although he calls it, uh, he calls it a name that's like really, really fucking old school. We call it gigs now, but he called it, what did he call it? Gigawatts. Gigawatts. Yeah, we call what it gigs now. What the hell is a gigawatt? No, no, that's, <laughs> that's, the, well, that's what they used to call it. That was the name they used to call it, but then they turned yeah, it, it's, it's, it's gig, gigs. right? gig of electricity because that's what he needs to generate to get Marty home and it would take a lightning strike, which it's already been established, had on the ground. When the woman came up to Marty in the square before with Jennifer saying there was a lightning strike 30 years ago, oh, look, where is he? He's fucking there 30 years before. So we know they're going to use the – yeah, that's it. We know they're going to use the lightning strike. Um, 1.21 gigs of electricity is really laughable now. It takes 1.21 gigs to run my fucking TikTok app. Like, honestly, it's yeah. it's it's fucking laughable. So anyway, um, Marty takes out the flyer that the woman gave him. He still had it in his pocket to save the, the clock tower. Uh, at 10.04 p.m., the lightning will strike the clock next Saturday. Now, Marty says... This is great. We have everything we need. I can hang out in the 1955 for a week. And then Doc shuts him completely down and says, no, you fucking can't. You can't leave the house. You're go- have you seen anyone you know? Oh, I might have seen my parents. And then he gets even oh. more annoyed. He goes, no, you can't do that. You can't see anyone. And so Marty's like, oh, fuck, I can't even explore 1950s. So, no, he can't. He says he can't risk changing things. And then, and then Marty says, yeah, he bumped into his parents. And then he pulls out a photo of him and his siblings from his wallet. And his brother is beginning to, to disappear. And he re- it's at that point that he realizes he's bumped because he's bumped into his, pa- he doesn't realize the car thing yet, but he realizes because he's bumped into his parents, he's changed something. And Doc knows what, he's changed something. So now he has to venture into the 1950s because he has to change it back. But but at that point, he doesn't know what he's actually changed. So what are your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, I think, you know what? The, the great thing that this movie does is it really handles time travel logic really, really well. It basically goes off the, it basically goes off the creedy that 
everything that you do in the past has an effect on your future. And I just really, really like that about this movie because because I've I've seen a lot of movies having to do with time travel, and none of them really do time travel well. I think Back to the Future is one of the best movies to handle time travel uh, uh, that have been made because, listen, it doesn't work all the time, but in this movie, it works particularly, particularly well because it makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it, it, yeah, it does make sense. So the next scene, Doc and Marty um, go to the local high school. And I love this scene. It's, I just thought, think it's so hilarious. He's like, which one is your dad? And then you see this, this, the guy, obviously, his dad that he was sitting next to in the milk bar, walking down the hallway, you know, he's, he's, he goes, oh, he's that one. And he's getting, his dad's getting picked on. His dad's got a sign on his back that says, kick me. He's getting tripped over. His dad's not fighting back. Like his dad just, is just like a weakling. And then, and then Doc goes, maybe you were adopted, (laughs) which I thought was quite funny. And then. He realizes it clicks. This is when it clicks in his brain. Oh my God, the car. The car. He goes, Oh my God, my dad. He recalls his mum telling him the story. He said, I was hit by the car. It was supposed to be dad. That is how my dad and my mum meet. That's when they, that's how they go to the enchantment under the sea dance. They have their first kiss and that's it. And then that's when he realizes, Oh shit, this is what I changed. And so he <laughs> he grabs his dad, right? He's dressed in 1950s. He grabs his dad and he pulls him over to his mum and he goes, so they can meet, but she is more interested in Marty because obviously, you know, she thinks his name's fucking Calvin Klein. Uh, Marty then dad. She doesn't even acknowledge him. The dad is really, really quite nerdy, doesn't know what to say. And then she, the bell rings, she runs off and she says, oh my God, isn't he a dreamboat? Like about Marty, which is her son, which is like so fucking horrible. And then this is still, this is still the same scene. And then Doc and Marty are trying to figure out like how, like, it's not going to be that easy. Just introducing them. It's just not. So how are they going to get his parents together? And this is what made me absolutely fucking piss myself laughing. He's because it's so true. Doc says, all right, well, what do your parents like to do together? And Marty goes, I don't know, nothing. <laughs> which is so, which is so true because when you think of your parents, like they do nothing. Like what are they? You don't know them as people. You know them as parents. So he's like, I don't know, nothing. Like he yeah, does it. So he just, it, it's so true. You just think that they're just, I they're people, but you don't know anything really about them. And then he sees the Enchantment Under the Sea dance um, poster and he remembers that's where they had their first kiss. So he has to come up with a plan to get them there to have their first kiss. So what do you think about that whole scene? I loved it. I thought it really, really pushed the story forward. I think, you know what, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful scene because like you said, in this scene, Marty basically realizes what he's done. And this scene really introduces the journey that Marty's going to be on for the rest of the film he basically has to find a way to get his mom and dad together. And if he doesn't do it, he's going to be zapped out of existence. So I, I, yeah. I, love, I love the stakes that are introduced in this scene. And then Doc mentions the, floor, the, 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 uh, the Florence Nightingale effect where, where uh, patients fall in love with their nurses 
he says the 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 line about the earth being heavy. Mm. Uh, it, th- there's so many good lines uh, uh, in this particular scene, but I, I I love it ultimately because this is the scene that really introduces what the the the, the conundrum that Marty's going to have to deal with for basically the second half of the film. Yes. So he catches Marty catches up with his dad in the cafeteria. And he says to him, listen, you got to ask Lorraine, like his mum, you got to ask her to the, she wants you to, she wants you to ask her to the dance. And his dad's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And he's, he's writing, he goes, what are you writing? He goes, I'm writing a, like a, he was writing like a, a, a sci-fi thing. He goes, I didn't, I didn't know you did that. Like he knows nothing about his dad. He goes, I didn't know you did that. He goes, yeah, yeah, no, no, I do that. He goes, oh, okay. So he's like, no, no, go, go ask her out, go, go ask her out and, and he's just so manic. He's so unsure of himself. He's like, no, I don't think I, I shouldn't do that. That's, I, I'm not going to do that. And then um, Marty sees Biff annoying his mother, just being really grabby, just being just just being a bully. And he intervenes and then looks – he intervenes and Lorraine loves him even more. <laughs> and he turns and he turns and basically his dad, George, has just bolted He's just run away and you're just like, he's just like, fuck. So his dad is on top of being like unsure of himself. He's also a coward. Any, any, anything that pops out at him, anything that he can't handle, he just, he just runs away. So that scene just made Lorraine love Marty even more and realize that she doesn't like um, George. So it's like, he's just made it even more difficult to, to get them together. What did you think? Yeah, George in this scene, I mean, you know, I mean, we do we do find out that George, when he was a kid, had aspirations that obviously when he became an adult, he didn't pursue, you know. But the other thing that we find about the other, the other thing that we find out about George is that he's a spine. He he he's basically a spineless jellyfish. He runs away from yeah. confrontation. <laughs> I, I think this is a wonderful scene. And, it, and the thing that's really sad about it is. Marty is trying to build up George's confidence, but everything everything that happens in this scene basically dissuades George from from being able to ask Lorraine out because because uh, the 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 way that Marty stands up to the younger version of Biff sort of shows his father that he's not good enough, and that sort of forces him, you know, causes him to, you know, uh, to, 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 to step back in the background and, and just, you know, just piss off. So I didn't like the next scene. I thought it was major, major writer convenience to push the story forward. I thought they could have done better. Uh, where, so we're with George, he's sleeping, he's in bed and he wakes, he, he wakes up and he's got headphones on. And Marty is dressed in his hazmat suit and is standing over him um, while his dad's sleeping. His dad, he presses play on like a cassette tape and Van Halen starts playing really loud. And his dad's like, instead of taking the headphones off, he just leaves them on, which I thought was very strange. If something, you know what I mean? You've got headphones on. They're not super glued to your ears. Take them off. So anyway... He says, oh, who are you? Who are you? Because, again, in the 1950s, nobody knows what a fucking hazmat suit looks like. Um, he says he's Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. And 
um, he'll melt his brain if he doesn't ask Lorraine to the dance. And listen, listen, oh. I don't listen. This George is not ten years old. If it was a ten year old, totally understand. This is a seventeen year old guy. Whether he's spineless or not doesn't matter. Why? And the next scene is like he's like, oh my god, I got I got a visit from Darth Vader from like Vulcan and blah blah blah. Obviously, he doesn't know what Darth Vader or Vulcan is. That's fine. But I don't know how I, I don't I don't like it. It doesn't work for me. What what about you? No, I mean I mean look, I've seen this movie a billion kajillion times, but today is really the first time that I watched it as a screenplay writer. And I don't like the scene that much either. You know why I don't like the scene that much either? It's not because of the Vulcan line or the or the fucking Star Wars line. And it and it's not even because uh the fact that George can't even take the fucking uh, um, the the headset off. The fact is, the comic book that he's reading, the the image on the comic book looks a lot like Marty in the hazmat suit, and it's the second time that 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 the that the art department has done that in this movie, and I don't like that. It doesn't. It still doesn't make sense because so you're reading a, but uh, with with the family in the first scene, it makes sense with the little boy. Because he was reading it, he goes, "Oh my god, that's real!" Because your brain's not developed. This is a seventeen-year-old yeah. man who's yeah. reading a comic book. That's fine, read comic books, no issue. But obviously, it's not real. It's a comic book. So, like, yeah, why yeah, would yeah. you believe that that is something? I, I don't know. It does. It doesn't no, work. Again, no. Again, you can. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, look. I mean, this is this is definitely writer's convenience. But again, you could fall back on the. On the sort of thing that people in the 1950s weren't, you know, weren't that sharp, I guess. I guess. I guess we can fall back on that. Um, so he's, uh, his dad meets up with Marty, or George meets up with Marty the next day. He's, he's, he tells him the whole story about, oh, my God, this guy, Darth Vader, from Planet Vulcan, visited me, and now I have to ask Lorena. Otherwise, he said he'd melt my brain, which is very like a 10-year-old thing to have. Anyway, we've, we've talked about this. So he goes into the milk bar. And he sees Lorraine sitting with her friends and she, and he goes up to her and he's fumbling. He doesn't, she's like, yes, like, what do you want? And he's like, oh, um, 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 and Marty's standing there like, fucking come on, fucking ask her. And then Biff comes in. Biff is literally like always there when he doesn't fucking need to be. And he enters with his cronies and he tells him, hey, McFly, I told you never to come in here again. And Marty's like, fuck. Like he does, he's his whole again. Michael J. Fox's whole demeanor is just like fuck again. Jesus, like my life depends on this. This guy keeps coming in and fucking shit up. So as Marty approaches George, uh, sorry, as Biff approaches George, Marty trips him, causing a chase. Um, and the chase scene is pretty cool. It's just it's around the square. Marty runs out and he fi- he finds a a boy. On a, ska- a makeshift skateboard that's got a thing attached to it. Obviously, I, skateboards weren't a thing back then. Um, he he took the wooden thing. It's a, it's just like a wooden plank with like wheels on it or something. But Marty uses it as as a skateboard, and nobody's ever seen anything like that before. So it's I find this scene, the chase scene quite funny because he's going. He's using the skateboard. He grabs onto the back of a car, which is what he did in the beginning when he was going to school when the power of love was playing. But he doesn't seem to leave the square because it's like, oh, obviously if you've got, if you're holding onto the back of a car, um, 
you're good. Like, you're good. But the car seems to be going around in circles, which is why Biff catches up to him. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, the town square is literally the only place that these cars, they must just fucking circle. I, I don't know. That is so weird. It's so weird. No. Because no, Biff keeps chasing, Biff keeps chasing, getting him, and I'm like, but he's holding onto the back. Where is he skateboarding? Like, I don't. Yeah, yeah that made no why, sense. Yeah, no, but holy shit! As you were talking, I'm like, wow, the 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 geographics of the chase don't make sense because they're basically they basically circles. Sense. No, and of course, this makes Lorraine watches the whole thing. This makes Lorraine love Marty even more. Because she's, he's stood up to the bully. He's running away from Biff and Biff gets in his car with his cronies and basically crashes into a manure truck. And Lorraine is like, oh, my God, Marty. Oh, my God. In her face, she's just like, oh, my God, I love him, which makes things even fucking worse. <laughs> and Marty's like, fuck, everything he tries to do, it makes things worse. So what did you think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, look, look, I love this scene, you know, you know, I love this scene in the, in the diner because when, when George and Marty step in, the, the diner is popping, the diner is full of students. So yeah, I just think, I, I, I just think it's a really good scene. The chase scene with Marty making a makeshift skateboard out of the thing that he takes from the kid in the square is really good. But hearing Dean talk about the geography of the square itself is like, hmm, I'm, I'm not sure about that. But look, that that's something a little bit minor. But other than that, I thought the scene was action-packed and it was it, it was well done. Yeah, I liked it. So we're back at Doc's house uh, with Marty and uh, Doc is explaining. He's He's got all these, he's set up a model of the, the town square. He's got a little car and he says, I want to show you how the lightning strike is going to work, where you need to be, where I'm going to be, what's going to happen. So he, he explains how he's going to use the lightning to send Marty home. And he's got the toy car and the toy car toy car basically bursts into flames. And it's just, it's funny because Marty's like, and he's like, fuck. And Doc is like, well, that's not going to happen on the day. <laughs> Marty's like, oh my god, I'm gonna fucking die. How do you then, know? Yeah, exactly. And then Lorraine knocks on the. There's a knock, and it's Lorraine, and he's like, how the fuck did she find us? And then she goes, oh, I followed you, and it's like, oh no. And she asks Marty to the dance, which is also fucking awkward. Awkward because she tells him she wants a strong man to protect her, and that's when Marty goes, okay, I can use that. And so the next, the next part is. He, Marty is with George and Marty comes up with a plan. He goes, I know how to get Lorraine to like you. He comes up with a plan that to make George look like a hero by making it look like he's saving her from like him. So, but, but George is just such a moron. He's like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't want to do this and blah, blah, blah. And Marty is, you can tell, you can see Marty having just a brain aneurysm about this. Like <laughs> he's literally going, you in his head, you can see, like, I am going to die if you don't do this. But obviously he can't say that. But you know, they're, this, it, they're on a time clock. Do you know what I mean? They're, they have to – he has to get this done. So you can see he's just, like, stressing about it. But um, what say you? Yeah, look, look, look. The, the, the thing that I love about Lorraine's behavior throughout this whole movie, especially, specifically in the, the – the, the thing that I love about Lorraine's behavior in the in the fifth in you know uh, in the fifties in this section of the movie is 
because when we first met Lorraine in 1985, she said that she never did crazy stuff when she was a kid. And obviously her behavior in the 1950s is a complete opposite of that. Yeah, we will see. I think, I don't know, I think maybe she just doesn't remember. Probably. I love that Marty takes what Lorraine says and uses that to give George confidence and how he comes up with this whole plan about going to the the prom with his mother and acting a little bit funny and setting up a, a scenario where his father can save his mother from him, which mm. is all which is like 50 shades of yeah, Martina. <laughs> uh, it's weird but i but i love how he concocts his plan and also i love how unsure his father is about this whole plan and i love how how marty continuously has to sort of walk around the issue that he needs this to happen and if he, and if this doesn't happen, he's going to die. But like you said, he can't outwardly say that. So I love how mm. he I love how he constantly figures out ways to sort of dance around saying that. Yes, I do too. It's just a testament to Michael J. Fox's acting. So we're with Doc and he's setting up for the lightning strike. While and and, and Marty's there, he's dressed for the dance. That's the this is the night of the dance. And he's writing him a letter telling him about his death and puts do not open until 1985 on the envelope and slips it into Doc's coat. Um, That's just a little short scene that will come back later. So now we're at the dance. Uh, We're in the parking lot and Marty is in the car with his mum. They've just pulled up. And first his mum starts, like, takes out alcohol and starts drinking it. And he's like, oh my God, like uh, Michael J. Fox is so funny. He's like, oh, he's, he, he's got that look of like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. He's like, um, what are you, why are you, and then she lights a cigarette and he's like, oh my God, no, what are you doing? Um, what, what? And he's just, he's, but he's internally freaking out and you can see it in his face, but he's trying not to freak out. He's just, he's such a good actor. And then she kisses him. <laughs> so she oh kisses him. God. And when, uh, but when she pulls away, his face is just like, kill me. Just kill me now. Just just, just put a bullet in my head. Like he just, that's his face. It was just like, I want to die. I cannot go on living because my mother has just kissed me. But what she does is she pulls away quite quickly and she goes, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I'm kissing my brother. Like it just feels weird. And he's like, oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It feels like my, I'm kissing my brother. So there's, there's Biff shows up again. And basically opens the door, pulls Marty from the car and gets in the car with Lorraine. And his cronies have, have, um, have, uh, what's his name? Marty. So Marty can't do anything. And then Marty's dad shows up and he's unsure. Um, then sees he's, he's unsure of what's going on and he kind of walks up and he can, and this scene is actually really, I don't like, I don't know. It's, I find it's it awful. I find it very full on because the shot no, that awful. they've used, yeah, it is. The shot that they've used is her her legs are up in the air. You, you can't see anything. Her dress is, and Biff is on top of her. So basically, he's trying to rape her. I mean, he is trying. He's not even just trying to like kiss her. He's no, trying to rape her. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, that, yeah that's a lot. It's very it's it's very very uncomfortable because, like you said, 
This is basically the biggest fucking jackass that you can imagine. Yeah. And the way that he treats Lorraine in the scene is awful. And the thing that makes it even more sad, when George opens the door, Lorraine is out of breath. She's like, George, please help me. Like, yeah. It's just so awful. It's awful. I don't know. I I don't I don't know. I feel like that was that was full on. For such a lighthearted movie, that was that was a lot. And so what's his face? Biff gets out of the car. And she gets out too. And he Marty I mean, sorry, George is still standing there like because uh, Biff just towers the fuck over him. And he's just so intimidating. Like he's just really big and stocky and George is like this little guy. And then Biff pushes Pineapple. Yeah. George is like skinny. Yeah. And then Biff pushes Lorraine, you know, fuck off, pushes her down. She gets, she gets pushed down onto the ground and then she looks up and she's obviously hurt. And that's when George just goes, Oh no, now you've like him trying to rape her. Totally fine. <laughs> but, but when Biff pushes her to the ground, that's it. That's the last straw. And then he no. balls his fist up pulls it way back and then just hits him in the face and Biff just fucking goes down. And Lorraine swoons because that's what she wants. She wants a protector. And it's like, ah, finally, finally it's happened. <laughs> so that's it. That's our scene. Yeah, look, 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 look. It's a, it, it's a really great scene, but you know what? I kind of have a problem with the fact that, you know, George finally gets his wits about him when Biff pushes Lorraine to the ground. Here's the thing. He should have got his wits about him when his future wife was about to get raped by a bully. Because, come on, mm-hmm. man. But, you know, yeah. listen, listen, listen. Regardless re- regardless of what Dean and I think about the setup of the scene, I think it's a really, really great scene. Because throughout the entire movie, both in 1985 and both in 1950. Three, sorry, 1955. 55, thank you. Marty's father has basically been getting the shit kicked out of him for this entire movie, and it was really great for him to have a hero moment and Mm -hmm. to knock out the bully and to get his future wife. Yes. So moving on. Marty, the cronies have locked Marty into the trunk of the band that's playing at the school dancer's car. So they get him out, he gets out, and he looks at the his family photo and it's still fading. And he's like, oh, my God, what do I do? And then he remembers, oh, they have to have a kiss at the dance. The kiss is what seals it. And so the, the guitarist for the band, has hurt his hand and is unable to play. And Marty goes, steps in and goes, oh, I'll play the guitar. And this is his moment because at the it's the arc, right? It's, it's, the, it's the want, it's the need. So that's all he has ever wanted. He's wanted to play. And, uh, yeah, finally he's going to get that chance. I love how they did that. I did because I, I, I remember when I first watched it, I was like, how are they going to bring it back around? <laughs> But they did, oh, yeah. and they um, did. yeah, I, I I thought that that was great. So, uh, what did you think of that? Yeah, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a it's a really great scene. And again, the the brilliant thing that Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis have done throughout this movie is that everything that they everything that ugh, everything that they have set up in the first part of the movie they paid off in the second part, and everything worked 
gloriously. I loved seeing Marty have to have to have to become the bass player for the band. I loved the whole Johnny Be Good sequence. I love the part when Lorraine and George are dance are, are on the dance floor, and that fucking dumbass redhead comes <laughs> and sort of sort of takes Lorraine away from a few moments. But I love how George gets his wits about his his yeah. wits back about him, pushes him down. They kiss. Marty pops back up, and his family is restored. I love all that shit. Oh, so I can just skip over the next three scenes then. <laughs> so just just reiterating. Marty enters the dance. He sees his parents dancing. They kiss. The photo is restored. Now he gets to play the guitar the way he always wanted to. So he gets his he gets his want. He gets his need. He plays the song Johnny Be Good, like Marcelo said. Uh, one of the I, I like this scene. One of the musicians calls his brother Chuck Berry and tells him, "Hey, I have a song for you." <laughs> which, for people don't know, Johnny Be Good is by Chuck Berry, um, which I thought was 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 quite funny. Um, Marty. Later on, Marty sees Lorraine and she tells him, oh, she's going to go with George. Sorry. And Marty's like, no, great. Go with George. Fantastic. That's fine. <laughs> so after that, after he gets his parents back together, Marty's with Doc and he explains basically the semantics of how the lightning strike is going to work. Doc finds the letter that Marty wrote about like his death in his pocket. He tears it up and Marty's like, no, no, no. He's like, no, I don't want to know anything about the future. You can't tell me. It'll ruin everything. And so he tears it up in front of Marty. Marty's just fucking devastated. Um, Marty gets in the car. He programs the DeLorean to go back before Doc died, like 10 minutes before he died so he can save him. Marty um, floors it and at 88 miles per hour, the lightning strikes and he's gone. Look, the scene is a little bit longer because there's a whole thing where Doc can't get the electricity to go and i yeah, mean it's, it's just it's scene. it's a great scene it's difficult to say but that's basically yeah, the gist is. of the scenes that's you know that's the short version of yeah it's a great scene the shit that happened but it's a great scene but uh, off you go dean marty's back in 1985 he sees the van with the guy the libyans that shot doc um but the delorean won't start how convenient <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like oh fuck so he gets out of the car and he runs, but it's too late by the time he gets to Doc. He's been shot. The scenario's already played out. Um, he kneels down and then Doc opens his eyes and sits up and he opens his hazmat suit and he has a bullet, bulletproof vest on. And Marty's like, what? And then Doc pulls out the letter Marty gave him in 1955. He's sticky taped it back together. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Basically, he's like, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know about that, but off you go. What do you mean? Like, like he, like, like, I, like. Are you so sure that you could sticky tape, you could sticky tape a letter back together piece by piece? I'm not too sure about oh, that. Oh yeah, but... what do you mean? I've done that so know. many times. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Like in high right. in high school, and when people actually wrote on paper, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, yeah. you can, um, you can rip something into a thousand bits, and if you have all the bits, yeah, fuck yeah, you can sticky tape it back together. He only ripped it into like four or five bits. Yeah, oh yeah, you can. Okay, all right. Clearly, right. you've never had to sticky tape paper together before. No, no, no. But it can all be right, done I'll, very, very easily. All right, I'll, I'll take your word. I'll take your word for it. So the next morning, Marty wakes up in his bed and goes downstairs, and he sees his can. yeah, he sees his living room very, very different, very not poor. It looks very, <laughs> very very posh and he's like what the fuck is this 
and he sees his siblings. One, the, his his brother is in a suit. His sister is, I think, also in a suit. And she's talking about, oh my god, the, all these guys want to talk to me. Whereas previously, she was like, nobody nobody wants to date me. And he's like, what the hell? And the, his brother's like, well, this is what I always wear to the office. And Marty's like, what the fuck is going on? And then his parents walk in, all loved up, um, and basically dressed as if they have money. Um, she looks a lot younger. Uh, so I like what they did with the, with, yeah, she's not an alcoholic. She's not, you know, stressed out or anything, you know, they love each other. And she's like, he's like, what? He looks like he's got confidence. He walks with confidence. He's totally different demeanor. And then Marty looks outside and sees Biff and he's wearing a sweatsuit and he's waxing his dad's car. And his daddy's like, uh, Biff, two coats, please, this time, and I'll know if you don't. And it's and Marty's standing there like, what the fuck has happened? And then um, so everything's changed. And, and his dad um, gets a delivery and it's his new science fiction book. So he was writing that in high school and obviously in his previous life he just forgot about his dreams. And in this one he's actually written the book and he's like, don't give up on your dreams, which I really, really like. Um the setup and payoff of of that and the whole dynamic between him and Biff is like completely like opposite now. Biff is like his little bitch, which is quite cool. And so then Marty goes outside and he sees that his his dad had has bought him like his br- a brand new truck that he's wanted. He's like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> this truck, this is what I want. And then Doc Jennifer's there. Doc shows up saying he needs Marty to come with him back to the future as the kids, as his kids need help. Uh, So they get in the DeLorean and the DeLorean can fly now because he's been in the future. So he's modified the DeLorean. Now the DeLorean flies and the DeLorean flies away. That's the end of the movie. Yeah, no, I, you know what, you know what? I love the end of this movie because it basically shows, because it basically shows every, uh, the example that Marty set while he was in the past affected everything in the future and i think that's the best version that's one of the best versions of time travel that can be done in the movie because it's not convoluted it's straightforward Mm. and it's well done sure it is wish fulfillment to the nines but i don't care it worked for this movie Mm. also i really like the tag at the end of the movie setting up a possible sequel that Mm. we know that they did as much as i love this movie i think i'm with dean i think i love two uh, that much more. Yeah. The other thing I forgot to mention is the DeLorean now doesn't need plutonium to, plutonium no, to work. It now it just works on work. rubbish. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, because uh, because because uh, because of the hover conversion that he got done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I think is yes. like way funnier and way cooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's way cooler. Uh, but uh, Dean, do you want to kick it to your trivia? Sure. So. Robert Zemeckis actually owns all the rights to all the Back to the Future films, and he has said multiple times, as and long as Bob he lives, Hill. as long as he lives, uh, there will be no re- remakes or reboots. Which yes. is so cool because I thought I keep thinking, why haven't they done the Back to the Future reboot? Because you know Hollywood fucking wants to do that bullshit. Of course, you they know do. they want to. You know they want to fuck it up. So I'm, do. I'm really, really, really happy. Um, Johnny Depp auditioned for the role of Marty McFly. Ooh. Okay. I don't know how that would have gone. I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, every. I mean, I think every Back to the Future person knows that um, Michael J. Fox wasn't the original Marty McFly. Eric Stoltz nope. was until nope. they let him go. Um, and um, but actually, uh, Eric Stoltz and the the actor that plays Biff, they didn't get along at all. They didn't like no. each other. So no. yeah, because yeah, because uh, reportedly Eric Stoltz was a little bit of a method actor, and um, yeah, and. They got halfway through the shoot before they realized, oh fuck, this isn't working. This doesn't so work. So what yeah. they, yeah. So what they had to do was, uh, what, uh, well, 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 I won't say that just in case it's in your trivia. But if it's not, I'll, I'll add no, it. No, say, 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 sorry, say. So, so after after they replaced Eric Stoltz with Michael J. Fox, what poor Michael J. Fox had to do because at the time. He was filming Family Ties. So mm. he would film Family Ties in the day and then he would shoot all the Back to the Future stuff at night. So basically, Michael J. Fox, for about two or three months, was getting no sleep at all. Because he would work in the day and then he, he would work on Family Ties, Family Matters. No, what is it? Family Family Ties. Thank you. Family Ties during the day and Back to the Future, the first Back to the Future, at night. So, you know... I mean, I mean that, that's similar to Scream yes. Two with yes, Nev Campbell and say that. yeah, Party Five and Scream Two. She did those simultaneously. So yeah, actors, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, you know, also, also, um, legend has it that um, Eric Stoltz can still be seen in some in some parts of the movies because mm. uh, um, it's said that. Um, uh, um, when they when they cast um, Michael J. Fox, uh, what um, uh, what happened? What what they did was they filmed all of his coverage, but what his what his actors are react what what his co stars are reacting to is Eric Eric Stoltz side of the conversation. I don't know if right. I explained that right. We got there in the end. We did. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Yeah. But um but you know, I I I I just thought that that was a really cool That is um, cool. Uh you know, sort of sort of editing sort of editing technique. I hope I hope you guys understood what I'm trying to say, but Yeah, I think um, it was pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. They react, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I understood. Yeah. But uh off you go. What else you got? Um from when the film wrapped from when the film wrapped to release it was nine and a half weeks that is probably the shortest time frame ever <laughs> that that is that is not bad at all um the script was rejected 44 times oh yeah from multiple studios yeah yeah this, one of it. yeah this script was uh, Bob Gale and uh, uh, Zemeckis took this thing all over town. And everybody said no to it. And even Disney said no to it. And the reason yeah. why Disney said no to it is because they didn't like the relationship between Marty and the mother. Yes, correct. I don't know if people have noticed this, but uh, Billy Zane actually plays one of Biff's friends. His first acting role. I did not notice that. Mm, go back and watch. Billy Zane is one of them. Huh. Um, what is this? Uh, oh, okay. This is my last one. Okay. Um, the film I- was banned in China. Because it, the Chinese government said it disrespects history. What? It's not banned anymore, but when it first came out, it was banned. 
Oh my, that is. So... I'm not even surprised. I'm not even. They is... they they ban horror movies. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> On that note, uh, that'll do it for the season three premiere of the mixtape podcast. Uh, listen, guys, if you want to reach out to us uh, to tell us how awesome we are, or if you have any uh, uh, requests for any movies that we should do in the future. Uh, you can just reach out to us by emailing us at uh, themixtapepod at AO.com. If you send us uh, any emails on there, uh, we will shout you out on the show. But um, uh, lastly, if, uh, if you're going to come back uh, next week uh, for episode two, uh, we will be discussing the classic horror parody film, Scary movie. So until next time, as I often say, if someone is ever kind enough to make you a mixtape, that must truly mean that they love you. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.